All right, Selena, when I say atomization, what comes to mind? At- atomization. Atomization. <laughs> what comes to well, mind? because we've talked about it, <laughs> atoms and molecules. Sure. Uh, I, when you say atomization, I just hear that. I think of Adam and Eve <laughs> randomly. <laughs> it's, yeah, and if, it's dealing with atoms and molecules and what the atomization of something is when you reduce it down to its component Mole- parts, yeah, right? Component and the parts. smallest part being the, the atomic level. And so today we're actually continuing our conversation uh, around discipling dissonance. Uh, last week we covered, what did we cover last week? So the first two weeks were the, the population bomb fallacy parts mm-hmm. one and two. Last week we covered we this lovely topic to die as gain, there teaching is. our children about death and from a biblical standpoint, where is our hope in death and how does that prepare us to actually live our lives in life hmm, of Christ? Yeah. And today we were talking about discipling our children against atomization. And uh, you what know, you in, writing this, in writing this chapter and working on this rundown, it's been very eye-opening for me, and I'm hoping it will be that way for the fierce parents listening. So that said, we'll see you on the other side. Once again, welcome back. My name is Ryan. This is my lovely wife, Selena. We are the Fredericks. And today we are joined once again with our fourth youngest daughter, Sunny Alethea Bess. And so she might make a cameo appearance. Thank you, Selena, in advance for taking care of our child. Yep. While we record these (laughs) silly podcasts. Actually, they're not silly. I'm happy to say that people are listening in greater volumes. Not greater volumes as in you're turning up the volume, but more people are listening. Which is awesome because obviously we do this because we want people to hear the message because we believe in the things that we are communicating. Yeah. And today we are communicating about atomization. So what is, how does, how do we understand atomization? So I'll just say this. I'm going to read a little bit here. Uh, We are atomized more than ever in human history. And this has been an internal shift as much as it's been uh, a shift in how our infrastructures are built. But first, what is it? Simply put, it's a separation and isolation of discrete, this is my definition, okay, so I, I apologize. It's a separation and isolation of discrete individuals in society as singular units, which think of themselves as autonomous and are regarded as such by others. Hmm. So uh, if you think about uh, an atom versus a molecule, you start to understand the picture that we're painting here. So you have molecules are, are atoms, multiple atoms of different kinds, different different makeups, different natures that are bonded together mm-hmm. by chemical bonds. And those molecules, when they bond with other molecules, they make up materials. Mm-hmm. They make up substances. They make up matter. Well, the atoms themselves are matter. But when you add a bunch of atoms and molecules together, you get actually a, a, a substantive thing. You're so smart. In a in another uh, <laughs> in a book called Global Politics, a guy by the name of Andrew Haywood defined atomization as this. It's a tendency for society. So he's talking in, on societal terms. He's sociologically speaking. It's a tendency for society to be made up of a collection of self-interested and largely self-sufficient individuals operating separately or as separate atoms. So to take this analogy even further, we, could just, we start to see the problematic nature of it. So atoms are isolated, whereas molecules are groups of atoms joined by chemical bonds. I mentioned that. Uh, Molecules joined together with other molecules are the makings of material. We can begin to see how matter matters. Okay. (laughs) So matter matters specifically around sociological matter. Right. So you heard the term like the fabric of society, right? What happens when we start ripping that fabric apart thread by thread? We start ripping those 
threads apart fiber by fiber. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon you just have a bunch of frayed fibers. We think about the same thing atomically. If it, uh, uh, mat matter is strong is, is only as strong as the atomic bonds, Bond. the chemical bonds yeah. that are keeping it together. I heard this analogy once. If you take a BB and you put a bunch of BBs into a sack mm -hmm. and you've got a, a sack full of BBs, well, you can kind of push that sack around and it will mold and move and kind of even roll over to one side or the other because all the individual BBs are kind of moving almost like a fluid. Mm -hmm. But if you were to take those same BBs or take any other matter for, for that matter <laughs> and turn them into a lattice, right? Or somehow give them, you know, molecular bonds, then that, that that's the makings of a, a rigid form, something mm -hmm. that doesn't just move. I'm thinking of like carbon fiber, like a carbon atom okay. joined to other carbon atoms yeah. can become a carbon fiber, which in turn will be very light, very strong and rigid. So you can't push that around. It doesn't roll over. It has to be broken, snapped, bent, you know, or pushed a over entirely. A lot of entirely. force needs to be applied. <laughs> right. So uh, now if you think about it in terms of societal substrate, so if we have an atomic society or individual, and this is all about individualism, by the way. So if we're an atomic society, we're individualized, uh, the result is a weaker, less rigid, and more easily manipulated societal mm. substrate. Hmm. So by the time you have got to this chapter, um, now again, this is all part of a book that I've been kind of working on mulling over for, for years, really. And it's coming to fruition. By the time you would have gotten to this chapter, you would have talked through um, humanism. You would have talked through postmodernism. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that gave rise to this idea of, of the modern kind of expression of atomization. But this idea was actually first articulated by a guy named Democrates. Or Democritus, depending on how you want to, <laughs> depending on how you want to uh, pronounce his name. But he was a third-century kind of philosopher, like sociological philosopher, political okay. philosopher, right? And so he he articulated this this idea really early on, and uh, that actually was third century BC, so three hundred years plus, Before. actually between fourth and third century BC, he articulated this idea. Uh, this idea has been around forever. Um, it's even been around since before then, right? Mm -hmm. So. Clearly, uh, Democrates, this, you know, he, uh, he, she doesn't like him. Yeah, she doesn't like him. <laughs> Clearly, he defined it back in the third century BC, but even before that, we see it, uh, into the Old Testament. So, students of the Old Testament will know this. They'll know that there are examples of atomization thousands of years before we even articulated what it means. And one could rightly argue that the idea of humans being self interested, going back to a uh, previous definition, the idea of humans being self-interested, self-sufficient, and autonomic that finds its origin in the fall itself. After all, you can't get autonomy without autos and namas. <laughs> so uh, that's where the word autonomy comes from. So autos means self, namas means law. So it's self-law, self-governing, mm. meaning that I am my own source of law. Right? What about if your source of law conflicts with my source of law? Well, that could we could have we could have a we could throw down. <laughs> so Adam and Eve, of course, were the first attempted autonomous individuals and their mm -hmm. offspring ever since have worked to perfect their parents' craft of autonomy. And that's, that includes you and I. Much to our chagrin, Frederick. Much to our chagrin. So what, what, how does this strike you first? Because you're, you're hearing a lot of this for the very first time. Yeah. Now, this is all in the context of how we're to instruct and teach our daughters. Now, yeah. I presented this phenomenon to you, this problem to you. As a mother, as a wife, 
how might you go about trying to, and this is, there's no right or wrong answer. I just want to hear your <laughs> knee jerk thoughts. I think there are wrong answers, but, <laughs> um, she wants to talk instead. Can you use baby as an excuse? <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. Uh, I mean, when you're talking about taking things apart with, without the objective of actually putting them together for a greater purpose, that, that doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Why do we want to be so individualized? I mean, yes, I see some of the rights that people want up front, but they're not taking the, right. taking it to the full extent. If you follow that trail all the way to the end, where is it actually going to lead you? Uh, where is it going to lead those around you? And and where is it going to lead community societies like all of the world? I mean, we see that with the, the birth yeah. decline, right? Yeah. Birth rate decline. So, it's good. So the radical atomization or the individualization of our society will have an effect on our children and that it will functionally teach them that they don't really need anyone but themselves right. to govern themselves right. or to it's, actualize themselves. Right. Which is very anti-biblical. It's not biblical. And so that's yeah. what we would be going up against in the way that we train them and what we... Yeah. Teach them to hold into authority, which is scripture and God. And so to begin to disciple our children in a way that they would understand this, take it to heart, and then in turn disciple their children in a way that their children will disciple their own children. Right. So we're going three generations out. We need to firmly root them in the biblical worldview in terms of community. Mm -hmm. And we need to make them very uh, aware of this phenomenon of the atomization of our society and the individualization of people. So here's what I would posit or what I do posit is in reality, no one is truly an autonomous. We only right. pretend to be human autonomy is cosmic cosplay. It's pretend. And no matter how badly you want it or how convincingly we dress ourselves up, we will never be autonomous. Sure. So we were actually at, at we having dinner with our pastor recently and uh, we're preparing to speak. Selena and I are, are, we've been commissioned to speak at a middle school. Oh yes. Okay. I was, I was like, where are we speaking at? <laughs> this is news so to me. Selena's, so we're, we're preparing to speak at dinner to our, our pastors. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it sounded like. It was, it was a fine oration. Uh, so you are speaking to middle school girls. I'm yeah. speaking to middle school boys. Yeah. And I, and we were just like, what should we, what would you do? Pastor? We feel, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, okay. Because he he's worked obviously as a pastor for for twenty five years plus. Well, he's a basketball he's a basketball coach. coach. His he's wife raised is, his own kids. His wife teaches in the schools. So, so he said, "What would you have us teach on?" And this is the one thing he said. He said, um, "They need to hear this most. They need to say. They need to understand that for boys specifically, uh, the one key to a free and flourishing life is to accept that everyone lives under authority. In other mm -hmm. words, no one is autonomous, and whatever authority anyone lives under, that authority almost well, not almost, it always starts with Christ. Mm -hmm. So no, not one atom or iota, right? So an iota is a, is a, it's like a unit of thought is what I would think of it as. An atom is a unit of matter. An iota is the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. The yod is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's like a unit of philosophy, a unit of thought. So the intangible things that we know, the intangible realities. There's Good not job. a single atom or <laughs> iota of the entire cosmos aside from Christ's, who that exists aside from Christ's loving intervention or loving he 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 sustains it right Amen. colossians 3 17 through 18 do you want to read that by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together 
That's one of those like he's the bond. <laughs> I mean, if he if if Christ looked away for a nanosecond, our universe would implode. Oh yeah, it, it would implode. It would cease to exist because he sustains us. He sustains us, and so the atomization of our society starts when we refuse the lordship of Christ. When mm. we refuse that that one truth that right. Christ is the authority by which our society. Our, our very universe, our, the cosmos, is upheld. Right. And even in ways we can't even measure or understand, he is upholding them. And it's from there, and then it trickles into every aspect of our lives. And so... So these are the big truths that we are, the big stones that we're trying to teach our children to disciple yeah. them in, that, A, you are always under an authority. Whether you want to be or not, you are. Uh <laughs> As that parents, authority is that, Christ, right, ultimately. Christ, ultimately. Mommy and daddy are under Christ's authority, as are you. Uh, as while you're a child and in our home, you're under our authority. And and being as such, you cannot be autonomous. Right. You need community. You need yeah. the molecularization of your community, not the atomization of yourself. Right. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit further. But first, there are actually four kind of areas of atomization that I wanted to talk about. Um, that typically result from us as a society refusing the Lordship of Christ. Mm. So again, looking 50, 60, 70 years down the line, right. how can I be addressing these issues now loud and obviously in front of our children so that they understand them and they understand their various expressions as they inevitably evolve over the coming decades. Commercial break. We're going to get the baby. And we're back. You know, one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is that like, I don't have to apologize because our baby's here. <laughs> Fierce parenting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if you need to know how babies arrive, go to Fierce Marriage. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're talking about the various kind of, uh, I'll say spheres or specific ways. Okay, there's three of them. So there's specific ways society and human nature. So I don't want to just, society like is this weird nebulous idea like, oh, it's culture's fault. Right. Well, culture is the result of human nature being human nature. So uh, whatever those demons, whatever the dragons that we're facing on the cultural front, those same dragons kind of lurk in, in whatever, you know, enemy outposts that still exist in our heart. So what are the various areas, the way society and human nature actually atomize individuals? In other words, child, here's how you will be prone to be atomized and you will be prone to be, cold, you know, separated from the herd, so to speak, mm -hmm. and, and taught to believe and live as if you are actually autonomous. Okay. So the first one is this, we're going to go over these very briefly because it could get lengthy if we don't. Um, also a lot of these thoughts are kind of cursory and I'm continuing to develop the thoughts and, and, and gather the research. So they may change a little bit, but the first one is this, the intellectual atomization. Mm. Okay. What do I mean by that? Truth is the first thing to go. Mm -hmm. Meaning that truth is that I'm autonomous in terms of my decision but also in terms of my truth. So I'm, in I'm autonomous in terms of how I live my life because how I live my life is based on the truth that I have. I live my truth. Didn't we talk about that? We did. And then we talked about like why it's a bad idea to teach your child to live their truth. Well, because there's no such thing as their truth. It's all God's truth. We either align with his truth or we don't because God, is, God himself is true. So intellectual atomization through truth, through reason. Okay, so uh, a child who is... Smart will, uh, you know, there's what's called the Dunning-Kruger kind of uh, phenomenon where it's like when, when, when you have a really, uh, what's the word? You're basically smarter than you are mature. 
And so what happens is you go up and you're really smart. And I'm going to do this way, really prideful at first. And then you go down because as you realize that, as you realize you're not as smart as you thought you were, then you get below kind of the level of maturity. And then you kind of mature slowly as you get smarter and your, your level of kind of pride in terms of what you know matches is commensurate with what you actually do know. So a smart child will kind of leave the household thinking I'm smart, right? And I can reason. And in fact, what I reason is true because I reasoned it, right? So if, if you can't prove it to me and I can't reason it, then I am only answering to myself. I don't need to trust what an authority says. I don't need to trust what, you know, this old theologian said. I don't need to trust what this Bible says because I know better, but I can trust my own mind. Dangerous right? stuff. Well, it flies in the face of God's sovereignty and it flies in the face, of course, in the authority of, of God's word. And it also flies in the face of what wisdom is. Like the dumbest people you know are the ones who think they know everything. <laughs> so there's intellectual atomization and truth and reason uh, in terms of your fate. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I mean is I think of my, the end game in my life in these terms, I'm the arbiter of my own fate. I'm the master of my own universe, mm. right? I'm the master of my own destiny. And in that, on that vein, the idea of self-actualization, meaning that becoming all that you want to be, all that you can be, is the primary end in your life. Mm -hmm. It's the primary thing you should be seeking and pursuing. Right? Um, and then the final one, um, and this one I'm working out a little bit more, but it's the atomization intellectually in terms of your attention. Okay? So think of every app, the way phones are designed. Mm. Um, you are atomized as an individual, and now you're measured as an individual, and you're but you're being treated as an aggregate. Yeah. So that's that's what I'm talking about in terms of being a BB thrown into a sack, <laughs> and that BB's then tossed around. Because we do a lot of ads. We do a lot of, uh, honestly, like I don't manage them, but we I, I work with um, a brother in Christ who does ads. And um, it's amazing to me how you can understand a mass of people while also, while at the same time, not be able to predict. You can understand and predict a mass of people, what they're going to do behaviorally, right. but you can't do that on the individual level. But because of the atomization of the individual, now big data, right? So Shoshana Zuboff, I think, wrote a book called The uh, uh, the Rise of Surveillance Capitalism, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the, the idea of, of, of uh, leveraging the attention of people on the individual level to move things on, on a larger scale, yeah. commercially speaking. So that's the first one, intellectual atomization. Selena, are you still, are you still uh, with I'm me or you're not bored, yeah. are you? Okay. Mm, no. <laughs> this, this has implications for how you teach our children. So yeah, you gotta get on board. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on board, I'm on board. I'm just nursing a baby on board. <laughs> yeah, you're doing great. Thank you for holding down the fort. Um, the second one, big area of atomization is community atomization. Um, this is where I'll spend most of my time. Actually, I'm going to come back around to this one, um, and then, then we'll, we'll unpack it a lot further, but I'm going to speed up here. So logistical atomization. So in terms of uh, what it takes to actually live your life, Selena, you were talking about this earlier. Like when's the last time you went into a grocery store and bought groceries? <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> Why is that? Because I can order them and go pick them up. And right. I got all the all the kiddos in the car and we can just... And exactly how many people do you interact with when you're ordering groceries One. and picking them? <laughs> Case in point. <laughs> this is the gig economy. This is also the uh, the technology, how it's given us insane amounts of convenience, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we can buy anything and have it arrive. Many cases the next, the next day. day. Yeah. Sometimes the, like the next morning. Some, I, I ordered a, an audio interface to the podcast. It arrived like 10 hours after I bought it. Like while I was sleeping 
just magically appeared on my front door because thank, thank goodness. Cause we needed it. So there's, there's that idea. You don't have to leave your house. You can get stuff delivered. You can get food delivered. Think of DoorDash, all mm-hmm. those sorts of things. That's how the gig economy has atomized us in terms of our logistics, but also the gig economy has atomized us in many ways in terms of how people are earning an income. Right. So for a long time, I was a freelance web developer and I worked, it was just me, my laptop and I, <laughs> so, and so I would just basically Selena, you knew this, like I would wake up in the morning, we'd have our mornings together. I would, we had a tiny apartment. So I would get into our U-Haul truck. Remember that? Yes. And I would and drive it to, it to Starbucks so and I would interact with the barista. But other than that, I'm just, I've got my headphones in and I'm coding away in the zone and it's just me, my computer and I, and completely atomized, not depending on anyone else besides myself just to serve that customer. But also things like uh, freelance and remote work for even big corporations. A lot of work is digitally done. Right? Aside from Elon Musk's I need you. Don't ever leave crackdown. me because <laughs> I um, will not survive on my own. <laughs> right. Or if you, you know, you could, if you're right out of high school or you're in high school or you're just looking for a few extra bucks, you can go drive for Amazon. You can drive for DoorDash. You can drive for Uber. Uber yeah. Uh, you, and you have to have zero to little interaction with people. So Logistically, we're atomized. Okay. Now the big one here, and this is where we'll spend the rest of our time is the idea of community atomization. So most time, especially for kids, Nathan would know the, Nathan's a good friend of ours who studies tech in terms of how to steward it as a Christian household, namely as parents. Um, But most of our kids are spending their time online in virtual relationships more often than they are in real relationships. Mm -hmm. And the real relationships they do have are so rooted in the online self mm-hmm. that it's almost like there's two identities they're living. Like they have their real persona and then they have their online persona. And actually mm-hmm. there was a study done. I forget. It was an article or a study. It was called the primacy of the online self and how teenagers these days, and this will only be amplified more. Thank goodness. It looks like, like uh, what's it called? The metaverse is going to be a massive flop, which I was so, I'm so happy Thank that that's Lord. happening. <laughs> But this idea that I can, they, they're so rooted in their life online that they they identify more with hmm. their gamer persona, their avatar, than they do with who they actually are. Um, this is a serious thing to consider and a serious problem if we don't address it. Uh, another way where community, the community is atomized is through shallow relationships. Mm-hmm. So, and that leads to having no experience of authentic friendship to reference. So like right. if a kid's grown up always having these shallow relationships because for whatever reason they're coming and going or Well, I think it's those whatever reasons that would be highlighted here. So you're you're on a screen made to feel like you're mm. in some sort of community. So that's then your definition of community. So then you anything outside of that may feel uncomfortable. And so when you're unable to, mm. then you're unable, which, you know, creates a bigger snowball effect of you don't really want to have those experiences with people one-on-one because it feels uncomfortable and you don't really know how to yeah. navigate those socially. So then you're pushed even yeah. more into this, this virtual world that you have more control over uh, all the while, like anxiety yeah. and depression is up because kids don't yeah. know how to interact with one another, which again speaks to, and I don't know, we may get to this, but how we are training how we are living in community with other families and other kids. And when we, you know, we hold values, there's, there's rules and laws and boundaries around screens, like in our home and uh, with people we interact with. Yeah. It's all really good. So another one, 
Communi- uh, community atomization is even education and work are increasingly online. So Della, our oldest, she is a gifted artist, like truly gifted. She draws things. I'm like, I've never drawn that good in my life. <laughs> I never will draw that I good in my life. I never will draw that good. And she just kind of, well. she just pictures it and draws it. Gifting's real. And so I, I'm like, Della, do you want to do some, some art classes? And she goes, yeah, I'd love that. But she goes, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it online. That's what she told me. Yeah. I, I don't know if I told you that. Uh-uh. She goes, I don't want to do it online. And yeah. I was like, really? She wants to do it with the teacher probably. She goes, yeah, because I can't ask questions. I want to be able to ask questions. I want to be able to talk. So I, I talked to Jason, our good friend. He's an artist. And I said, will you teach my daughter? <laughs> <laughs> he said, come over dinner and we'll do it. We'll do something. Um, which we have to organize that, by the way. Um, he should do an art class. He should do an art class. Um, and that to me is like, that's the antithesis to this atomization. Yeah. Because it's not just some teacher on a screen who you don't get to know, but it's actually the father of her friends mm-hmm. and one of my closest friends. Mm-hmm. And so there's this now it's molecularization of mm-hmm. that relationship. That teacher is not just another atom in a bag. That teacher is molecularly <laughs> bonded to us family to family. Right. Right. Which is incredible. So in terms of community, again, I actually read this uh, a loneliness study. It was done by Harvard, um, which take that or leave it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I was like, the <laughs> league is not what it used blah, to be. Blah. It's kind of a joke. But here's what it says. In a recent national survey of American adults, it says 36% of respondents reported serious loneliness. 36%. We're the most plugged in people in the world. We have a thousand friends. And they said How they're can feeling, we feel lonely? <laughs> they felt lonely frequently or quote, almost all the time. Goodness. Or all the time, straight up. And in the four weeks prior to the survey, uh, th- that's when they, they felt that way. Um, this included 61% of young people aged 18, 25, and 51% of mothers with young children. So over 60% of young people, 18 to 25, feel lonely almost all the time. And over half of mothers feel that way. All right. So another result of this study, 43% of young adults reported increases in loneliness since the outbreak of the pandemic. That's no surprise. Mm-hmm. About half of lonely adults in our survey reported that no one in the past few weeks had, quote, taken more than just a few minutes to ask how they were doing in a way that made them feel like the person, quote, genuinely cared. Yeah, we're really good at 43 percent. Yeah, we've gotten really good at, at small, short, shallow uh, social interactions. How do you like that for alliteration? <laughs> so if you are in a, a room of 10 young adults, oh, four of those young adults will say that like no one has asked them how they're doing in any genuine sort of way. That's so crazy. I mean, we were taught this at basketball camp. I was taught this at basketball camp. Granted, it was a Christian basketball camp, but they were probably 12. Oh, well. NBC camp. (laughs) I thought you would have been a little bit older, maybe 14. Maybe 14. Maybe 16, I don't know. No. That's when I started crushing. Um, (laughs) 16 years old. But they were, they, one of the talks was just like, when you are out in the world, you are confident and you ask somebody, like you say hi to them, you look them in the eye, you shake their hand and you say, how are you? And like, yeah, it's a genuine, confident thing. So I never thought anything different. Right. And so you have children that are never exposed, not never, mm. they're exposed to each other at school. But I mean, how deep does that interaction go? Right. Between class and schoolwork. Yeah. Where's where's the the depth of relationship actually so this happening? Is, this is referencing the pandemic. Now, here's the fear: is that this won't recover, right? Because I feel like uh, you know, and time will tell. It's really hard to pull out of how those we pull out of this. Yeah. According to the recent a recent CDC survey, again, take that data for what <laughs> you think it's worth. Sixty three percent of this age group, so young adults, eighteen to twenty five, are suffering significant symptoms of anxiety or depression. This mm. is in, in the context of a loneliness survey. 
Now, here's the scary part, and this is why we as Christians need to have our head on a swivel, is this is these are how they prescribed. So the Harvard academics, the smart among us, quote unquote, said, here's how we fix it. I'm quoting this verbatim. Number one, provide people with information and strategies, including public education campaigns. Public education. Okay, so people need just need more information. They need more strategies. And the government needs to step in and tell them more information so that they can, so then quote, it can help them cope with loneliness, including strategies that help them identify and manage the self-defeating thoughts and behaviors that fuel loneliness. You think this is a good idea? So many thoughts. Well, you're teaching just the word cope, right? Like we as adults can't can't cope with a lot of things. I don't think we're created to be able to cope with certain things. Maybe we're not created uh, to, or we are not able to. Both. I don't think that. Can you cope with grief, like to the full? It doesn't. I don't know it's what not, you mean by cope in this case. Right. You'd have to like define you have to cope. Basically, deal with it and yes. not let it ruin you. I think is what I think cope when okay when I hear means. cope, I think you need to figure it out. It's not get over you need it. To deal I think and get over it. So it's maybe that's the a, trickiness of it and yes. get back to a healthy place. Sure. I think is what cope would mean. But still they're what are the, they're 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 proposing them doing it on their own. <laughs> like yeah. to me cope means on your own. Like help yeah. you cope with what you're dealing with like on your own. Sure. Uh here's another solution that Harvard recommended. I think it's silly. It said building uh, we need to build not just our physical, but our social infrastructure at every level of government and in our communities. Again, government is stepping in. Now, what do they mean by this physical social infrastructure? So what? Now, it's not, it's, notice family's nowhere in here. Church is nowhere in here. Of course, they can't mention church because they're Harvard, right? They can't mention family because family's not whatever. Well, not. because we're all autonomous now. Exactly. They're trying to like, divide everybody why up. Not, why not encourage the nuclear home? Why not encourage, you know, that's oppression. multi-generational li- that's like patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> but Being of course, facetious, of course. But if we create more like bus lines or more light rails or more, you know, somehow get the government to enforce that's just what people do. How does that even work? Interact with strangers. And they said this, this, this grand vision. We need to begin reimagining and reweaving our social relationships in healthcare, schools, and many other institutions. All those, what? All those, all those buzzwords to make people start Listen, clapping. I don't have a relationship with my doctor. Like my doctor's my doctor. Unless he's like my friend, an actual friend or a relative. Before he was or a doctor. we go to the same church. Like I have no reason to have a meaningful relationship with that doctor. Aside, like just listen. Yeah. Like, no, make I'm sure just I'm thinking like of counselors. Like that's such a unique. But even then that there's always going to be that counselor, you know, right. patient privilege. Right. Or that barrier rather. They'll never be a friend. They'll be a, you know. And well, and that's just so interesting because, you know, uh, want, you know, this person remain, remain anonymous, but a friend of a friend's dad was like looking to go into counseling, like not going to counseling, to find a counselor because um, they were dealing with a lot of stuff and felt like it, the weight of it was kind of falling on their family and they didn't know what to do. And when he went to go find a counselor, it's like, he couldn't really find one. Like they're, they're, they're either not available. There are three months out. And so you're, you got lone, you're not lonely people, people trying to deal with depression, anxiety, things that are weighing on them. But how do they fix it? And they're trying to do that. And so instead he called, he called his church and he said, I need like a father figure. I need like a dad. I need somebody to just be my friend and be a mentor. Within a week, he was sitting down with this man, Mm -hmm. having a meal and praying. They prayed three together. Three hours they were they, they, were, they were hanging out. Yep. And 
it cost him nothing. And you know what? This this uh, this man that was acting as the father figure is gifted in that way and mm-hmm. knew exactly why they were meeting. Yep. And it was to serve one another. Mm-hmm. And one needed serving the other had the gift of service right. and to meet that need. That's the opposite of what this is describing. Right. Go meet with strangers. So what? Build oh, a relationship? Fix it. Yeah. It, it's- Big brother will fix it. Right. Okay. And the final one recommendation is working to restore our commitments to each other and the common good to renew a founding promise of this country, mm. colon, that we have communities to ourselves, but we also have vital com- commitments. Excuse me. We have commitments to ourselves. But we also have vital commitments to each other, including to those who are vulnerable. Of course, you got to throw that part in. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the final one, I covered the logistically atomized thing. So where does this lead? Okay, so this leads to where we are, but where will it lead in 100 years? This type of thinking, this type of viewing the individual. Right, it's more. And now how do we undo, how do we reveal the lie? We do this, this is what we're doing through this series. We reveal the lie, which I think we've done that in many words here. But now where do we point them in terms of Christianity, in Mm -hmm. terms of a biblical worldview, in terms of who God's created us to be? Quickly, Here's the solution, in my view. We must disciple our children to value, seek, and build their lives around deep Christian community in its various spheres. Okay, and here's the three spheres that came to mind. Church. Now, this family's a given here. It's because we're, we're, I'm just going to say family's a given. Church, friendships, and then courtship. Define courtship. Looking for a spouse. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> we need them to have that framed biblically yeah. so that their pursuit of you know, our young, our sons pursuing young girls, our girls pursuing young men, uh, they have to have a frame in their mind in terms of how boys and girls fit together in the union that is marriage. And I'm not mm-hmm. talking obviously, I'm talking, you know, in terms of biblically right. speaking. Right. And and what families, what role families have to play in the strengthening of a society right. and a de-atomization and a molecularization of that society. Right. So to do this, we must show them. This is the challenge to you as parents today. You know, as you're thinking through this, you, if we don't live this, our kids will never get it. Right. Maybe that's a too dire picture. If we don't live this, our kids will have a lot harder time in understanding what right. God true is still Christian community swell. looks like. God is still sovereign and can use, you know, our failings for his glory. Yeah. And so we trust him in all of this. But he's also given us instruction, given us, you know, yeah. encouragement and the pages of scripture to point our children to and to yeah. use as our guide yeah so we've got a little bit to go here selena should we break this one into two yes. episodes okay <laughs> okay this is my husband's famous words it won't take that long it'll take a, it'll take probably another 20 minutes so we're <laughs> going to break this into another episode this will be part one come back next week for part two in terms of tackling this idea of atomization and how do, how do we train our children to be faithful disciples in a world that is increasingly individualized, mm-hmm. increasingly atomized, so that they can refuse it and instead choose relational structures that are more biblical well, and frankly better for human flourishing. Well, fulfilling the great the mandate that God gave us, right? To be fruitful and multiply, right. to to make disciples, make disciples of all nations. Yep. And there's a very overt community piece in that, which we will talk about next. We're gonna talk through each this, one of these spheres. And we're gonna talk about specifically what is uh Christian community. And what isn't it in each one of these So spheres. what it is and what it's not. Yes. <laughs> Miss English teacher over here. <laughs> no, I just, it sounds clear to me. You're right. It probably is. <laughs> I've been talking a lot. That's why. It's anyway, good. if you are listening to this, you're watching this, thank you for hanging out this far. If you're not a Christian, we want 
you to be a Christian. So if you have a friend who knows Christ and you can go talk to them, we encourage you to do that. Do that face to face. Do it face to face. <laughs> Don't text. Well, I mean, you can text to start it, but have the conversation face to face. Find a pastor it. who preaches through the Bible. Sit under his authority as a pastor. Be shepherded as a sheep. Learn what it means to walk as a child of God, as a disciple of Christ. We want to call you a Christian, and those are the best steps we can give you. If you don't have a friend or a pastor, we have a website set up that will give you a few steps um, in that direction. It's thenewsisgood.com. Check that out. We'd love to see you there. Let's pray. God, thank you for the gift of community. Thank you for the gift of, mm. um, first off, showing you've shown us in your triune nature. That community is so baked into the fabric of our universe because it's baked into you as a triune God, three persons in one God. We ask that you help us to embrace the idea of community that you would have for us. Help us to reject this atomization, the individualization of our culture. Help us reject it uh, with wide open eyes. Help us to teach our children to reject it, to identify it, and instead to live in light of your word and to pursue deep real, authentic Christian community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, I can't believe you just said baked in and Trinity and had that all in a prayer. That's <laughs> just so great. Oh, how Sarah said it. <laughs> it's ontologically hardwired. <laughs> I don't know, but just baked in. I was like, okay, <laughs> sounds like a cookie. <laughs> oh, Lord, you are so much better than cookies. Uh, yes, yes, this Obviously. is true. This is true. Uncontested. <laughs> All right. This episode of Fierce Parenting is. In the can. We'll see you again in seven days. Until next time. Stay fierce.